What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast here with you on the Athletics Podcast Network. And if you're listening to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you are, thanks for jumping back in. Of course, uh, our early week pods are free, so go give us a uh, review, give us a good rating, and we've got plenty, plenty to talk about here on the Duncan Holder podcast. We're just a little uh, bit of time away from the Saints going on Sunday Night Football and defeating the previously undefeated Dallas Cowboys. Not the prettiest of games, but any win for the Saints without Drew Brees is a good win. They beat the Cowboys 12-10. to And Jeff, it's certainly a game that I know you and me assumed would be a low-scoring game going into this game. Uh, I know you asked Sean Payton about it after the game. I actually asked him about it as well uh, after the game about this being kind of one of those scratch-out, claw-out games, even if Drew Brees was in there and the fact that he wasn't. Teddy Bridgewater, the starting quarterback. Saints are 2-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater, the starting quarterback. And yet, I'd say for the last two weeks, we've seen the formula for the way the Saints are going to have to win games without Drew Brees. And Jeff, I'd argue this game would have been this way even if Drew was was under center, and yet we saw him almost an agony on the sideline for a lot of this game. But huge win for the Saints, 3-1. and one. And Jeff, I'm sure you'd agree, any win is a good win at this rate in the season without Drew Brees. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Larry, with your column today about um, most fans, I think, and most of us would have uh, been pleased with the Saints being 3-1 and one at this point with Drew Brees, much less without him. Uh, this was a very difficult stretch. I think it's the second toughest schedule so far in the NFL uh, behind the Steelers. And um, it's been remarkable how they've done it. They've kind of transformed their style of play. It, it reminded me of the old Jim Mora Saints. I mean, the, the Dome Patrol days. They're winning games with field goals like Morton Anderson field goals. Now they're using Will Lutz in defense. And uh, you're right. They just got to win games. Uh, I don't think anybody thought the Saints would be 27th in the NFL in total offense and still be 3-1. and one. That speaks to how well they're playing in other facets of the game, special teams and defense. And uh, that was as good a defensive effort last night, Larry, as I can remember. It might have been the best defensive effort uh, in the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, considering the opponent. And I think also that the crowd had a lot to do with it. I mean, when the Saints played these primetime games in the Superdome. The dome is just electric, and for whatever reason, it just feels like... I would like to do some research. I I probably need to do this and see what the defensive numbers are in primetime games in the Superdome. I guarantee you they're off the charts because the crowd is so amped, the defense feeds off of it, and very, very few times do you see high-scoring games in those type in those type of environments. And the defense, without them playing as well as they have the past two weeks, they're not where they are. The special teams, if they haven't played as well, and basically every phase of special teams uh, you're seeing, Will Lutz 
the only point score last night in the Dome with four field goals. Thomas Morstead a couple weeks in a row with incredible punts and making things happen. Deontay Harris being a real weapon in the return game, which we haven't seen in quite a few years here in New Orleans. And even though the offense wasn't as uh, prolific as it was in Seattle, uh, still, uh, it's not like the Saints were uh, just turning the ball over left and right. I mean, the one turnover occurred, and it wasn't even Teddy Bridgewater's fault. It was Ted Ginn bobbling the pass. And yet, this is the formula. Now we've seen it two weeks in a row. Regardless of the opponent, I I know the Saints' uh, schedule seemingly lightens up, even though maybe it's not as light as we thought with the way Tampa's playing recently, Jacksonville's playing recently, uh, the Bears have been playing. So uh, maybe it's not as light as we thought, but this is definitely the recipe for the Saints to continue winning games uh, with Drew Brees on the mend. And at least he was on the sideline. Uh, I know it was probably driving him nuts. Uh, Our own Catherine Terrell actually caught up with him after the game. He said, uh, last week's game, he's watching at a pizza place in San Diego. And so it's not exactly the because he didn't have the NFL Sunday ticket. So uh, all kinds of craziness uh, involving the Saints. Yeah, and look, I, I think this is the formula they're going to have to follow to win because the offense is not the same without Drew Brees. I mean, let's, let's just cut to the chase here. They're not explosive. They, they just don't have the same quick strike ability uh, without Breeze, and that's understandable. Teddy Bridgewater hasn't been in this offense as long as Drew Brees, but they're not the same. The offensive line is struggling right now. They played some very good defensive lines of of, of late, uh, but they're they're winning uh, old fashioned, old school type football games. But there's very little margin for error uh, in doing that. They're they're not going to be able to commit uh, in turnovers. I mean, they they got away with one last night on a tip drill interception. But uh, as long as Teddy Bridgewater continues to protect the football, make smart decisions, this team can win a lot of games because, first of all, not only are they playing good defense and special teams, Larry, but I think they're being very well coached right now. I mean, they've had good game plans. They managed to scratch out some drives last night uh, with some really creative run play calls and some well-timed screen passes. And they're doing just enough to win these games, uh, but uh, it's not going to leave them a lot of room uh, to overcome adversity if they have uh, keep committing these penalties and uh, make a few turnovers here or there or give up something on defense. Uh, there's just not, mu- not much margin for error for this team. And defensively, you look at the way that they were able to get a pass rush on Dak Prescott. That certainly helped. It was huge. Last play of the game, uh, Chartsy Gardner-Johnson comes flying in, drills Dak Prescott, picture-perfect textbook hit into the chest, uh, and then the Hail Mary falls short and Marcus Williams picks off the ball. But it's not like maybe early on in the season where the Saints were having a little bit of struggles within the pass rush. I think you're seeing this unit develop a little bit more now. Trey Hendrickson left with a neck injury last night. Curious to see how long. He's going to miss time, but of course, Sheldon Rankin's returned for the first time since rupturing his Achilles in the NFC divisional playoff round. I thought we saw some good things from Marcus Davenport. Uh, Of course, Cam Jordan is Cam Jordan, and so uh, you're seeing that defensive front not only rush the passer, but Jeff, 
I'm majorly impressed with the way they shut down Zeke Elliott. I mean, they eliminated him from the game. That's extremely hard to do. And then you also might as well throw it back out there. Marshawn Lattimore, we've criticized. Well, I wouldn't say we've necessarily criticized him a ton. We've talked about him a ton. He yeah. shut down Amari Cooper. Yeah, totally I mean, shut him down. We're not criticizing him. We're just pointing out the facts, you know. And 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 he's he last night he rose to the occasion. I thought he played his best game of the season. I thought the run defense, like you said, was as good as it can get against a, an elite running offense. Uh, they, you and I were talking to AJ Klein afterwards. He gave a lot of credit to the defensive line. And I think that's where the credit should go because they do the dirty work that frees up Demario Davis and AJ Klein and Kiko Alonso and and even even Von Bell and PJ Williams are really good run defenders from their position and those guys come and clean everything up and I I thought they tackled probably as well as they have all season maybe the best they have all season across the board there weren't a lot of leaky plays they just played lights out defense. And, and I would say this, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm taking anything away from the Saints, but I, I think Dallas got a little exposed last night. I mean, they played such a weak schedule early on. I think they looked like world beaters on offense. When you and I have seen this offense before, we saw it last year in Dallas. I mean, it's a very modest offense. It's not a big, quick-strike offense. It's exactly the kind of offense the Saints can have success against in that kind of environment. Uh, so it played out almost exactly the way I thought this game would play out. And Jeff, just sticking with defense, it's kind of like we're starting to see where this defense can go when they are clicking. I mean, it took a little while for the defense to get rolling last year, and then they became a pretty significant strength. And I think you're starting to see that with this defense. You it, Forget the score last week and the yardage they gave up. A lot of that was just in garbage time. But they were able to slow down Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in Seattle. Second week in a row where they shut down a quarterback who was playing very well in Dak Prescott, a run game that was outstanding, and and a wide receiver that was, uh, of course, playing very well. And I think this defense, after kind of having the shell shock of the Rams game, uh, I think you're starting to see the potential of this defense much like we did last year. Yeah, they, they did the same thing last year, Larry, right? They 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 slowly adjusted and tweaked, especially on the back end. And I thought Dennis Allen called a great game last night. I, I just got done watching the game for third time this morning, and um, he mixed things up. I mean, they didn't really didn't do anything special. They kind of pulled uh, what the Cowboys did against them a year ago. They played pretty basic. Uh, they didn't really get exotic in their blitz packages. They, they, they changed things up. They looked like they were going to blitz, and they drop eight into coverage, and then sometimes they bring a guy from a different spot. But they really uh, – I tweeted it out this morning. Seven of their 11 starting defenders played over 90% of the snaps, so they weren't subbing a lot. Uh, they weren't going exotic in their personnel packages. It was basically just their straight-up 11 getting after Dallas, and I think they felt good about – what they were doing and what they were seeing on the field, especially with the ability to shut down the run. And as long as that front four plays with that type of, uh, of uh, you know, efficiency as far as getting after the quarterback, it's going to make the back end a lot better and they should be able to hold up. It's, it's that 
that uh, you know concert we talk about all the time between the between the defensive line and the secondary. They have to play in unison to complement each other. And, and last night, I thought it was as, as good as it's been. Jeff, one name in particular in the secondary that we have both pointed out that we've seen continued improvement with through. Uh, the last couple of years really has been Von Bell, and he's almost the unheralded guy. He just almost kind of gets lost in the shuffle. This is a contract year for him. I'm not saying he's pl- playing well because of a contract year because I thought we were seeing improvements from him last year in pass coverage, and, of course, he's kind of got a nose for the football to create takeaways. Look, he has been as vital as uh, of a piece to the puzzle throughout for the team's overall success than almost anyone uh, – on this team, it's pretty remarkable for a guy who the Saints seemingly tried to bump out of the starting lineup for a couple of years, and he's worked his way back into it. And Jeff, they're not getting it done without Von Bell. You got to give him all kinds of credit. Yeah, he's tied for the NFL lead right now uh, in forced fumbles with three, and the one right before halftime was huge. He got the Saints an extra field goal and prevented a field goal, looked like maybe seemingly a potential field goal attempt by Dallas. Uh, That was a very close play. I've watched it now a number of times. It looked to me like his elbow, like Ezekiel Elliott's elbow was down, and he would have had the first down, but it was so close they couldn't overrule it on the field. So there was a case of a break going the Saints' way. Uh, Things, uh, you know, could have turned out differently. Certainly could have – that was a – 50-50 50-50 call, and it went the Saints' way, and these things have gone against them recently. Uh, so these uh, some of the breaks starting to even out for this team. It was overdue, uh, but that was a very alert play, uh, and we've seen it now two weeks in a row, Larry, where last week Eli Apple makes a hustle play at the end of a big game, strips the ball out. Same thing with A.J. Klein last night on Jason Witten after a big game, and then Von Bell not giving up on the play – all three kind of hustle plays, and you create your own breaks uh, when you play with that type of uh, effort, and the, the Saints' defense is certainly doing it right now. What also impresses me is that even in a play where the defense makes a mistake, it seems like the Saints uh, have the ability to turn a bad play into a good play, just like A.J. Klein. He said he screwed up on the coverage. Jason Witten gets open. And he makes up for it by punching the football out from behind. And I feel like we've seen where, uh, say, a corner like Eli Apple or even P.J. Williams, say they gave up a reception, but boy, they can. I, I feel like when they're playing well, they can sure make a tackle. And I think that's been evident the last year, year and a half for this team that the the way they tackled against the Rams was an anomaly. I, I, that was that is not the team that the Saints have built on defense and this team uh, the way they've tackled the last couple of weeks is more the defense that we're accustomed to seeing so uh, it, it's funny Jeff that we're used to so programmed in the Sean Payton era to be like oh my gosh this defense uh, they can't get anything done and it's a different story and it, it, even with Drew Brees it's been a huge key to their success. Yeah they they I think are playing at a very high level uh, with incredible effort and focus right now because I think they know they have to. Uh, you know, they've elevated their play. They don't have the luxury of uh, winning games with sloppy defensive play. They're not going to do it. So it seems like, uh, you know, the entire team has kind of risen to the occasion. And in some ways, 
this could be a blessing in disguise for this team, losing Drew Brees. You and I talked about it before. I really felt like this team lacked an edge going into the season. I'm, I'm not saying that they were lackadaisical at all. That's not the point. It just felt like uh, you know there was really nothing. There was no motivational gimmick. Uh, it was very professional camp. Everybody went about their business. But it just felt like they were just kind of going into the season. And the Breeze injury has provided that that crisis for the team. It, it, it kind of was a wake-up call, I think, and galvanized the team. And they're playing at a much better level than they were earlier in the season. I just think um, this is could end up being one of the best things that happened to the team, assuming Drew Brees comes back and plays at the level he was at, uh, for them to get through this early, very difficult schedule. Let's shift over to the offense. And even though the Saints are 3-1 and one, and every Saints fan out there, whether it was with Brees or not, would certainly take three and one at the looks of the schedule when you open up against Houston, go on the road to the Rams, stay on the West Coast against Seattle, and then come home to face Dallas on a Sunday night. But Jeff, there's always going to be, and I've learned this throughout the last, let's say, month and a half since preseason, that people are going to dissect and get all over Teddy Bridgewater's case. It's just... I think you and me and and the fans who kind of get it that look he's not going to be Drew Brees you have to absorb some of this this rah rah from uh, against Teddy and yet uh, it, it's something that you're going to have to live with. I mean they're not they're two and zero with him as the starter. You're not going to make a switch with him. Uh, you're not going to switch over to Taysom Hill even though Sean Payton probably was tempted at the start, but you're not going to do that. The team rallies around Teddy and offensively, we could say defensively, like this is the team we thought they're going to be, but offensively, I feel like this is the team they're going to have to be. And it's uh, Sean Payton has pulled this line out before. It's, it doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing uh, to get the job done, uh, but it's not going to be aesthetically pleasing to watch Teddy Bridgewater uh, run this offense, uh, at least, at least I, I don't foresee it. Maybe it changes, but uh, this is the type of offense you've got to live with. And it goes back to Jeff, your little margin for error. I mean, because that this is the way it's going to be w- w- without Drew Brees for the next few games. Look, I think the litmus test on Teddy Bridgewater is going to be when, when the team falls behind in a game, uh, can he lead them back? You know, they played two games now without Brees. And both games, the first game against Seattle, they got a quick early lead thanks to a punt return and a scoop and score. And they were in control of the game. They didn't have to ask Bridgewater to do anything. And last night's game was kind of like that. Uh, They really never were in serious – they never faced a serious deficit. They were kind of in the lead for most of the game. Uh, So can Bridgewater lead this team back if, if say, something – uh, they have some adversity in a game coming up, and they're down 14-3 to three or something like they were to Houston earlier this year. Does he have the ability to lead them? I don't know. But right now, they're playing so well on defense and special teams. And I thought special teams last night, Larry, there were a couple of plays. I mean, Deontay Harris had a nice return. got him to midfield. And, it again, in a field goal-type game like that, they just needed to get, like, one first down and get into field goal range with Will Lutz. Uh, this they're, they're just playing so well in so many other phases. They're not going to need Teddy Bridgewater. But, he, look, he's he's got to play a little bit better. I mean, 
a lot of that's on him. I mean, people talk about the offensive line giving up all these sacks. I think they gave up five last night. But a lot of it's on Bridgewater, one, for not getting in the, the right protection uh, at the line of scrimmage before the snap. Uh, that's on the quarterback. And then a lot of times he's just got to live to fight another day and get the ball out and not take the sack. He's trying to make plays with his legs, and he did that a couple of times last night. But more often than not, it's going to be something bad that's going to happen and I think that'll come with more playing time, and I'm sure the coaches will talk to him about it when they look at the film today. But this is Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, this is who he was in 2015 when the, he was the quarterback for the Vikings to make the playoffs. And his passer rating that year was in the lower 80s, and his passer rating Monday, uh, Sunday night was 78.9. And... 23 completions. His completion percentage was high, but only threw for 193 yards, no touchdowns. And at the end of the half, I know people were wondering, what are they doing? You know, he just throws a quick strike, uh, take two seconds off the clock. They were trying to uh, basically bring back the fourth down touchdown pass to Mike Thomas, even though Mike Thomas, uh, that ball wasn't intended to him uh, last night. But it's something that, this is who Teddy is, and is he going to be more than this in his career? Who knows? Uh, he's still trying to get his feet under him, I'm sure. Uh, only the second start, well, meaningful start uh, since uh, coming back from that leg injury. But this is who Teddy is, and Jeff, I mean, you might as well swing over to the offensive line. Uh, look, I don't know if you can – totally blame Teddy for some of these mishaps. I mean, look, Andres Pete got whipped one time and he gets sacked and he's, there's nothing he can do. So I think it's a combination of both where uh, maybe you're facing tough defensive fronts. Uh, the Saints are trying to figure out how Teddy maneuvers back there. And Eric McCoy, look, that snap on third down of that final drive, that was on McCoy. I mean, he just snapped the ball. He thought he heard Teddy Bridgewater. The line didn't react. Robert Quinn just runs right past Ron Armstead because he's not anticipating the snap either and almost gets Teddy killed. So Sean Payton and the offensive linemen are right. I mean, they've got to fix some of this stuff. And that's it's not all on Teddy Bridgewater, though. No, I mean, Eric McCoy's a rookie, uh, you know, playing in his fourth game in a charged environment, very, very loud. And uh, those mistakes are going to happen. And I'm sure they'll eventually get this all synchronized. But I also think... Uh, you're right. They played now four games in a row against four of the best defensive lines in the entire NFL. It's been a pretty tough stretch for that offensive line, as good as they are. Uh, I thought last night Dallas's front four got after him pretty pretty good. Uh, he was under duress a lot, um, so I, things should lighten up. Although here here they are this week, they've got Tampa Bay with Shaquille Barrett, who's only got like nine or ten nine sacks and ten quarterback hits. I mean, he's blown up this year. Uh, yeah, who is this guy? I know. The best he's, pass rusher in the league. Way. That's who he is right now. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, what kind of plan they have for him uh, coming in. That was a very impressive win Tampa Bay had yesterday. I don't know how that happened. First time in the franchise history they scored over 50 points. And they did it to the Rams at in L.A., which it's not like Tampa made that a ruckus atmosphere. I don't think Bucks fans are fleeing over to – L.A. to go to that game. But, yeah, that, that is certainly a, a, a wild win for Tampa. And, of course, uh, that's who the Saints 
take on next. But Jeff, just a positive note on Teddy. Michael Thomas, I've written about this a lot over the past year about how Michael Thomas has a lot of trust in Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, It's funny, before Michael Thomas did interviews after the game, he made sure to go kind of grab Teddy and talk with him for a minute or two and uh, because Mike Thomas wants to have that rapport with Teddy in the interim like he always has with Drew Brees. But nine catches on nine targets for 95 yards last night. And back shoulder throws, slants. Teddy's getting it done with Mike Thomas. And everyone in the building knows they're throwing to Mike Thomas. And everyone knows Teddy's not Drew. And yet those two are also playing well together. I think that's something we need to watch going forward because you saw a little of it last week. You saw a little bit more of it this week between those two. Oh, yeah. Some of those back shoulder throws were Breeze-esque. I thought those were excellent passes. Good. The, the coverage was right there. And Mike Thomas has such great body control and anticipation. Uh, and those were huge plays because they, they helped him get into field goal range or extend drives to get into field goal range. Uh, they've got to get a little more of that from some of the other players, uh, you know, on the offense. They've got to, they've got to get Jared Cook involved somehow. Uh, they targeted him a couple of times, and I think one of the balls got batted down at the line. And I know they're trying to uh, get him involved. I think they've got to continue to try to get Cook uh, to become a threat because right now he's almost non-existent out there. And the other receivers last night were really non-existent in the game. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr. had that uh, tip drill interception. I went back and watched it. I mean, that's the one knock I would say on Teddy is he, he tends to throw some – when he misses, he, he misses high, and it creates some problems that could lead to just those kind of situations, tip drill interceptions because receivers are going up high. Uh, but that's also a ball that Ted Ginn Jr. should catch. I mean, it's in his hands. He's trying to bring it in. He gets hit. Things happen, but um, – Mike Thomas, uh, there's no no problem with that connection right now. Is it, that, that nine for nine in a game like that with good defense, um, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and the longest game was 20 yards, so it's not like he's blowing the top on a, a defense. And, Jeff, you mentioned the Ted Ginn bobble and interception. Uh, he bobbled another one, and almost like he was trying not to catch it, and he caught it. And the same thing happened with Josh Hill down by the goal line. Uh, They had a great play call. Josh Hill was open. The ball was a little high. It's a ball you expect him to catch, but it wasn't right in his breadbasket, kind of like the way Drew Brees would probably deliver the football. And so uh, it's what you got to live with in the interim. And at least the Saints, and kind of going back to my column that I wrote after the game, I mean, the fact that they're 3-1 and without Brees, no one would have predicted that. Few people would have actually totally predicted three and one. Maybe you would have predicted three and one with Breeze, but without him, you wouldn't have. And this is just kind of the the they almost you gotta like like you're riding the roller coaster, you gotta grip and bear it. And these are the type of games you're gonna have uh, going forward. And so uh, it, it's pretty remarkable though that the Saints are in this position. And it almost looks like, oh, well, this is how, where they should have been. And if you just look at the schedule and the record and you uh, you didn't know Drew Brees was out, you'd be like, all right, well, the Saints are fine. And so the fact that the Saints can improve after starting 3-1 and one and with the uh, with the, the shakeup at quarterback, pretty remarkable, Jeff. I think you got to tip your hat to Sean Payton and the coaching staff. Um, 
That's that's why they're three and one right now. I mean, this is a very well coached team. That staff's been intact now for three straight years. Uh, they've changed over, obviously, special teams with Mike Westoff retiring, but otherwise, the staff has stayed intact and they're they're winning games by not losing them. And uh, they've won now some very uh, obviously last night's game and the opener against Houston. Either one of those games could have gone the other way. They scratch out two big wins and they're staring at three and they're sitting at three and one instead of potentially being one and three. Uh, so that I think comes back to Sean Payton, this staff, the leadership in the locker room among the players. Uh, the Saints are not beating themselves, and and that's a huge thing in this game today. We watch games all over the league on Sundays. You see teams making just boneheaded mistakes. Even Dallas last night made some critical errors. Uh, lining up in the neutral zone on third down, things like that that come back to haunt you because they extend drives. And the Saints just are not beating themselves right now. And I think that's a credit to Sean Payton, who who has always modeled his program after the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. And I think the Saints are playing very Patriot-like football right now. Through four games, Sean Payton, coach of the year so far, or would you deem someone else in the NFL with, with that title? Yeah, that's. I mean, he certainly would be in the running, don't you think? I mean, for what he's been able to to do, uh, they've got to continue doing it. Uh, you know, they. But this early stretch, um, I mean, it's it's been pretty remarkable, and they've done it exactly the way they needed to do it. I think that I think everyone, you and I, have covered this team long enough to know that they weren't going to come out and throw the ball all over the field with Teddy Bridgewater. They were gonna they were gonna rein it in offensively and try and win games. Uh, in other ways, I was just looking at the stats. You know, we always everybody's was concerned about Drew Brees and his arm strength and not getting the ball down the field. I mean, he he was averaging eight point five yards a pass attempt uh, during the first game and a half, and Teddy Bridgewater's at six point one, so he's even less. Uh, he's getting the ball down the field even less. Their biggest gain last night was twenty yards, and in Teddy's tenure, the longest gain they've had passing is 29 yards, and that was a screen pass to Alvin Kamara. So it's amazing that that they're able to win these games when you know the opposing team, too, knows what they're going to do, and they're still able to scratch out a win. Now, I will say that Teddy tried to go deep a couple of times. I know they did a flea flicker, that, and the play wasn't open. I think there was a a play to Ted Ginn where he, did, he didn't pull the trigger, but he wasn't open. Like I, I saw there were play designs – in there where they wanted him to take shots. And I would say smartly that Teddy didn't. I, I know he made one throw uh, where he was just going to take a shot to Ted Ginn and two Cowboys defenders were down there and the pass wasn't anywhere near it. At least he didn't throw a pick. But still, it, they were, it was kind of a half-hearted take a shot downfield. But yeah, those plays have been drawn up. And yet you could see where we've been up top in the, in the press box that – a lot of those times they're not open, but then people also watch Teddy kind of get paralyzed, hold the football too long and trying to make an intermediate pass and he gets into trouble. So I understand how that could be a little <laughs> wanting to like pull your hair out if you're a Saints fan. I, I also thought the the um, the dome last night was a huge factor. You know, I mean, uh, we've seen that before. We tend to take it for granted, but uh, in a game like that, a tight game, uh, the Saints' two-minute defense has had trouble closing out games. We've seen them give it up in situations like that, and they didn't. They had two different drives in the final like six minutes or so, 
where they really got after uh, Dak Prescott up front and finished that game off with a big sack. I think David Onyemata had a huge sack there on that last drive. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to the the, uh, the Superdome and the crowd noise. Just uh, it, it was just chaotic. I think for Dallas, you could see Dak Prescott going to the line of scrimmage, trying to yell to call out these. Uh, play calls. I mean, that, he's just spending a lot of time and a lot of energy just getting the play called because they're in a two-minute drill, no huddle. And uh, I thought it was a huge factor in the game. Like, I don't know if that happens if they play on a neutral field uh, or on the road. I don't think they have that advantage. And what happened to that storyline that there might be 50-50 Saints fans, Cowboys fans? I did not no. see it last night. No, it was just like a normal, to me, uh, rabid fan base say Pittsburgh comes in and they buy a few tickets. Yeah, it got loud a little bit for uh, for some of the Cowboys' big plays. That was a Saints-friendly crowd. Uh, yeah, I think some of that obviously gets overblown. So before we head out of here on this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast, definitely want to tease our highly successful free podcast, The Lead. Uh, of course, I was on the inaugural episode a couple of weeks ago where uh, we went through the story of the NOLA no-call and our own Jeff Duncan is going to be featured on the lead coming up this week. Jeff, I don't know how much you want to reveal of your uh, uh, your investigative story that's going to be coming out uh, very soon. I- I'll leave this to you, uh, it w- how-, how much you want to dive into this, but I'm looking forward to hearing your voice on the lead. And so now we could just be kind of like lead friends and we don't have to just be like Duncan Holder friends. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the great folks at Wondery uh, podcast network that we partnered with have done a great job. I mean, I thought the, the inaugural episode that you were on was fantastic. And Anders Kelta is actually uh, going to be the host of the pod that I'm on on Wednesday morning. It'll drop Wednesday morning. The story will go live tomorrow night. It's an investigative story that I worked on in partnership with WVUE Fox 8 uh, investigative reporter Lee Zurich, who in New Orleans, people are quite familiar with Lee's one. If you see Lee, run. (laughs) Run. You're in trouble. Yeah, he's a terrific investigative reporter. And we worked on this story for three months. And uh, it's going to run tomorrow night on The Athletic. It'll be on the the Inc. If you've been been on The Athletic and seen The Athletic Inc. uh, site, which is kind of the the main uh, profile, big takeout type pieces, uh, it'll be on there. It's a 5,000-word story. And it's um, it's a sad story. I'll just leave it at that. It's it's not an uplifting one. It's a very sad. Some some would say a typical New Orleans story, but I think people will find it interesting and um, unfortunately pretty heartbreaking uh, when you uh, get into all the details of what's transpired over the last ten years. I'll I'll just leave it at this, Larry. It's a it's a post Katrina story that started out as a feel good story. And you won't feel good uh, when you get to the ending of it. All right. Well, check that out. And, Jeff, you say the lead podcast is going to drop Wednesday with with you uh, and and, kind of retelling the story that you told Tuesday night, right? Right. Wednesday morning. The actual story will go up on The Athletic at 10 p.m. Central Time Tuesday night. Tomorrow, uh, I say tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday. So Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Central Time. And that's to coincide with the broadcast release that Lee Zurich is doing at Fox 8, 
Uh, they are going to have a broadcast version of this story on their 10 p.m. newscast, and we will go live with our digital online version at The Athletic at the same time. Simultaneous release. Yeah, check it out. I don't know Jeff and, and Lee have been working real hard and to uncover some uh, some nasty truths about, uh, uh, like you said, a feel-good story. So, uh, Jeff, uh, I'll just say kudos to your, uh, your great work, and hopefully – uh, this kind of exposes something that needed to be exposed. So uh, check that all out, of course, at theathletic.com slash New Orleans. And, of course, again, this if you're listening to this podcast, you could be a subscriber to The Athletic, or you can catch this one free, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Go rate, review, do all that good stuff for Jeff and myself. I want to thank Danielle, as always. Appreciate you putting up with uh, old Duncan Holder here. And, of course, we'll be back later on in the week for our bonus podcast. Of course, that will be behind the Athletics paywall. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for listening once again to the Duncan Holder podcast. And we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening.